Welcome to If This Bar Could Talk, a podcast about bartenders and the stories they have to tell. We'll learn about their creative process, their favorite cocktails, as well as the storied history of cocktails, spirits, and bars. I'm your host, Leanne Sims, along with my partner in crime, Blair Beavers, and producer, Greg Hansberry. This is our very first episode. We're here at our kitchen table overlooking the river with great friends. Our very first guest for our very first episode has been voted best bartender in Columbus, Ohio for nine straight years. She is a 2016 Tales of the Cocktail Dame Hall of Fame inductee. She's a contributing writer for Got Rum Magazine, founder of the Columbus chapter of the USBG, senior manager of the Cocktail Apprentice Program at Tales of the Cocktail, head bartender at the Four Diamond award-winning restaurant M. She is the pioneer of craft cocktails in Columbus, Ohio. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Master of Spirits, Krista Lobby. My goodness. Thanks thank for you. coming, Chris. So that was a long list, but that's not even everything. <laughs> um, you completed the Bar Smarts program. I did. Which that was in 2013. 13. Okay. Yes. So that is what designated you as a Master of Spirits? Correct. Okay. Um, and tell us about the USBG. What is the USBG? USBG is the United States Bartenders Guild, and there are chapters all over the country. Um, I actually was the founder of the chapter for the entire state. So we started out with one chapter for the whole state, um, but we found that it was really difficult to all get together from Cleveland and Cincinnati and, and Columbus. So at some point, Cleveland got enough members of their own to split off, and they then began the Cleveland chapter, and then we were the Southern Ohio chapter. And then when Cincinnati got enough members to split off, we ended up with three chapters in the state. Okay, wow. And you were the president of that for quite a while. I was the president of all of that um, up until a year and a half ago. Um, USBG only allows you to be president for so many years, and then you have to pass the torch, so now I'm vice president. <laughs> And then um, you're also a consultant, a sought-after consultant for different bars and restaurants. And um, I wanted to mention, too, the, um, the best bartender in Columbus nine straight years. You weren't just voted that by the public. You were actually a write-in. So for those who don't know, um, it's, you get a survey, and you get to you um, click on whichever your choices, but you aren't listed. And so people had to, you, there's a place where you can write someone in and, and everyone wrote you in. So in nine, nine years in a row, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Thank you. you have a really great uh, client base, obviously. I'm going to go for 10 much. and then I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> so Tales of the Cocktail, we were there um, a couple years ago when you were inducted into the Dame Hall of Fame. Um, Tell us about Tales of the Cocktail. Tales of the Cocktail is the biggest cocktail festival in the world. And I am one of the leaders of the Apprentice Program. So it's basically the people who who are behind the scenes and put together all of the cocktails and tastings for all the seminars. We do um, over 40 seminars in that week. And this is a program of 70 bartenders from around the world. 
Oh, yeah. So I started as an apprentice in 2010. Um, it's a it's an application process. We get about 500 applications a year from all over the world, and I worked my way up from being, you know, one of the apprentices to now running the program. Wow. And that's a really big deal to be inducted into the Dames Hall of Fame. That's uh, that's quite For me, it was a goal from when I first knew about this Dame Hall of Fame thing until it happened, and it, I felt like I had arrived. It was such a huge honor. So when we were there um, in New Orleans, we were sitting at a bar, and David Wondrich just happened to be uh, making cocktails. And uh, for those who don't know, David Wondrich is an author and historian of cocktails, a pretty big deal in the cocktail world. And um, we said to him, you should definitely come to Columbus, Ohio sometime. And he said, well, I would love to come to Columbus, Ohio and sit behind Crystal or sit at Crystal Lobby's bar. It would be a real treat. So how does that make you feel that somebody like that not only knows who you are, but wants to sit at your bar. It, I can't put it into words. I mean, David Wondrich is in the top in our industry, and I have so much respect for him. And, you know, when I first started in this craft cocktail world, I, I had him up on such a pedestal, and now he's my friend. He's still on the pedestal, but now he's my friend, and um, I've judged competitions with him, sat on the same panel as the judge, which was amazing. It's incredible. It makes me feel so special. And didn't he create the Bar Smarts program, or was he's he one of it? the uh, of the six guys who do the Bar Smarts? So yes. talk about the Bar Smarts because that's a pretty impressive program. So Bar Smarts is uh, there's three tiers. Bar Smarts Wired is an online certification, um, and you know you you basically go online and it's a 30 day uh, thing. You you take you watch videos and you take tests and and you get this bar smarts certification and and that's what they consider the beginning level the um advanced level is what they call bar smarts live which they do six times a year around the country and again it's um it's an all-day uh class and you learn about history and you learn about the, the laws and rules in spirits in all the different countries. Um, and that is the second, you know, tier of that. Bar five day is the, is, is the top. And um, it is something that is considered the same as becoming a master sommelier. So you have to apply to even get accepted into the program. You have to have done Bar Smarts Wired and Live to be accepted into the program. Um, I studied for about a year every single day to take bar five days. So it's five days in New York, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. And you taste over 400 spirits. Um, you are learning from the top people in the industry of how to taste. And you have to know everything. You have to know all the laws and rules and regulations of every spirit that there is in the world um, and the history and the dates and the people it's incredible and so I did that in 2013 and I passed and that was amazing I think I was sitting at your bar when you were prepping for that probably at one point I didn't drink socially for a year I only tasted for a year 
So even if I went to a bar, I would ask the bartender rather than make me a Manhattan, pour me four different whiskeys and make sure you know what they are, but don't tell me what they are. And so I just trained my palate over that year so that I could pass this test because in the test you have to know, in the blind taste you have to know what the spirit is, um, the denomination of origin, what country is it from, is it aged, if it's aged, how long has it been aged and in what kind of wood. Um, you have to know the proof within 10 degrees. It's, it's intense. Wow. I could never do that. I have the worst palate ever. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about you personally. I know you grew up in Arizona. I did. What brought you to Columbus? Uh, my daughter's father was from Columbus. And so we, we met in Tucson and moved here. He wanted to come back and I was up for it. So I ended up here in Columbus. And you started your your interest in bartending came from your father's restaurant is that right my dad um was a chef and uh owned a few different restaurants when i was a kid and he cooked at home every night big elaborate amazing dinners and so i just had a love for the industry and when i turned 18 and you know it was time to get a job it was just a it was a no-brainer that i would go into that although i I majored in music in college, so I did not intend for this to be my career at all. But I really loved it, and the more I worked in the industry, I realized that this was really the what I wanted to do with my life, and that music was more of a hobby. And jazz piano was yes, what you play. and flute, and flute. Mm -hmm. wow. um, so, what was the first bar that you ever worked at? Well, I I served, I waited tables for a number of years. The first place I ever tended bar was in Tucson. It was called Pac-A-Min Steakhouse. And um, <laughs> P-A-C-K apostrophe E-M-I-N-N. -N. Perfect. The, the man who owned it, his name was Tom Packham. Pac-A-Min Steakhouse was a, a cowboy steakhouse. The, the waitresses cooked the steaks in the middle of the restaurant on a grill. <laughs> And it was a gorgeous wood bar, Tom Packham tended bar seven nights a week. And it was like a staple of Tucson. It's not there any longer. But the, my very first bartending job was under him and I learned so much. There was no craft back then. He wasn't doing anything fresh. There was no craft cocktails. Um, he maybe even shook Manhattans. For God's sake, <laughs> that's a however. He was all about hospitality, and he had regulars that have been coming to his restaurant for thirty years. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot from him. And you've been at at M for thirteen years now. Is that right? This month will be sixteen. Wow, sixteen! I started years. there in September of two thousand two. Wow, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> so I'm always surprised when I go to M. They have that um, plaque on the wall that that shows the, their four diamond um, designation. And I always think that they really failed and that they should have a plaque with your picture on it and all the times that you've won. You haven't won just best bartender. That was just one magazine. You've won best bartender in a lot of different uh, surveys. Mm -hmm. So 
I always feel like they should have like a little crystal lobby shrine or something. <laughs> I think that and, you um, should call Cameron and <laughs> let him know because I would be. <laughs> and you brought, and and this isn't just me saying this because we're friends. It's it's written. It's out there. You really did bring craft cocktails to Columbus before you started using fresh ingredients. People were still using roses as opposed to flat fresh, absolutely lime juice, and and you started using herbs and and took us back to the way cocktails were meant to be, the way they used to be. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you learned at Tales of the Cocktail or where did that come from? Well, Cameron Mitchell Restaurants made a decision, um, and I don't remember the year, but I'm thinking probably 2008, to institute uh, Fresh Bar. And M was the first one to do it. They, we were the test place to see mm. how that would be because we had roses too. And we had bottled sour mix when I first started there. And so they brought in mixologists from around the country to kind of teach us how to do it. And I loved it and thought it was brilliant. And it was natural for me. And um, so I just kind of took it and ran with it. Um, I went to Tales of the Cocktail in 2009 on my own dime. And saw it and saw what it was about and was fascinated with it and immediately started just learning everything I could about cocktail history and how to make a proper cocktail. I bought all the books. I And then I went back and um, applied in 2010 to be a, an apprentice. And that's when I really started to learn stuff. And I just, I took what CMR was doing, which, you know, at that time was... Um, putting fresh lime juice in a gimlet and to them that was like wow this is craft and and then I just kind of uh, kept going with it and elevated it as as much as I could and I keep doing it every year well we're very grateful for that well thank you so we're gonna make a cocktail right now okay um, tell us what you're gonna make for us well I think the French 75 is the one when you and I talked about it that uh, that is it's one of my favorite cocktails and it also has strong roots to new orleans which is where tales of the cocktail is held every year and i love it uh, i love new orleans i spend a lot of time there and so to me that was just a no-brainer to make that cocktail and what are the ingredients of the French well so the the history of and i'll be brief but the history of french 75 can be made with gin or cognac and uh, originally it was cognac or even Calvados. And then during Prohibition, it became a gin cocktail. Um, in New Orleans at the French 75 bar in, in Arnaud's, they use cognac. They, they think that that is the true uh, spirit for that drink. So it is cognac, lemon, sugar, or in this case, simple syrup, um, and champagne. And then also uh, what I always do is put a little dash of Peychaud's in it which are New Orleans bitters, and uh, I think it completely changes the drink. All right. Well, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to mix up this cocktail, and then uh, we'll come back, and you're going to tell us some stories from behind the stick. Awesome. Is it more traditional in a coupe or in a flute? Both. It's two ounces cognac, one ounce simple syrup, one ounce fresh lemon juice. Always fresh, of course. Perfect. Some syrup. 
Cocktails should look delicious, taste delicious, but they should also smell delicious. So I think this last part is really critical to the drink. And that's just a nice lemon twist. Always fresh, always a la minute. And it just completely changes the nose on the drink. There it is. All right, and here we are with a French 75. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that's delicious. It's refreshing. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Really, really good. I think I like it better. Better than with gin. With gin, yeah. I think the gin gets lost. Mm-hmm. When you add champagne and the lemon and the simple, I just think that the cognac, I mean, cognac is French and champagne is French. And so oh, it's just, delicious. they're just meant to be together. And we're going to, um, we're going to post a picture of this cocktail along with the recipe on our website. So if anybody wants the recipe, they can perfect. They can go online and get it. Um, so now for the juicy stuff, or maybe not juicy. I don't know if I have well, any Well, wait, juice. What's, maybe a little what's juice. the origin of this drink? There's different stories. If you go online and look, David Wondrich has... Um, you know, some different ones. I mean, it is written about way back in in books back to the early 1900s. It was named the French 75 after a World War One artillery weapon called a French 75. Um, it was, they named it that because they say that it was a, an amazing drink that packed a punch like like this artillery gun. So what's funny about cocktail history, though, is you read a different there are like three different stories for every cocktail, it seems. Right. And I feel like it's because you're drunk. People get drunk and then they kind of forget. I think so, too. (laughs) Oh, it went. So they just kind of make up. (laughs) Exactly. And if you look up this one, you'll see that, too. There's a lot of different, uh, you know, stories and different people say different things about how it came to be. It's fun, though. Mm hmm. So tell us a story from behind the bar. And if you can't remember one, I remember you telling me about one that um, I think would be a fun story. Well, I have a few in my arsenal here, but why don't you tell me what you're... Well, I was just thinking of the one uh, with John Glenn. Um, Ooh, that was a good one. I didn't... Yeah. I I didn't think to say that one. A great story. So, but but let's hear your stories. Uh, Well... Okay, so so one in particular, which I think is a good one, is really about you never know who you're waiting on. And I think in this industry, above and beyond all of the fancy cocktails, it's all about hospitality. You guys know how I feel about that. And um, so I think that we often forget who we're waiting on or, or we just just don't pay attention to that. So about 10 years ago, uh, this couple came into M and they were dressed super casually. Uh, they were telling me that they had just moved to Columbus and they were staying in a hotel and that they wanted to, they were looking to buy a house and uh, they were trying to find a good realtor. And I, of course, know people in every possible industry that all come to the restaurant. So I said, well, you know, I will. I have a friend who's a realtor. I'll give you his name and number and you can, uh, you know, get in touch with him. So that was that. They had a great time at the bar and they left and I never actually saw them again. About a month later, 
my friend, the realtor, comes into the restaurant, and I hadn't seen him in months, and he walks in with this gigantic um, basket, this gorgeous basket, and in the basket is four champagne glasses, a bottle of Dom Perignon, um, flowers, an envelope, which I then found out was uh, part of the gift, and I said, Kevin, what are you doing? Like, what is this? And he said, do you remember the couple that came in a month ago and you gave them my phone number? I said, sure, of course I remember. And he said, they bought a $4 million home from me. <laughs> and I just wanted to say thank you because, That's of, awesome. because of course his cut was something. 6%. Outstanding, right? Yeah. And so in addition to all these wonderful gifts that were in the basket was also $500 in the envelope, which was fantastic nice. at a time when I really needed it. And it just goes to show, and I've told many young bartenders that story because these people were in like shorts and t-shirts. You never know who they are. You never, I mean, obviously they had the money to buy a $4 million house. And, and uh, I just think that that's kind of a cool story. You've probably met a lot of interesting people since M is one of the finest restaurants in the city. You've probably met politicians and celebrities. Movie stars, rock stars. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, if they come to Columbus, they typically come to M, especially because of our location. Who have you seen in your bar and just that just got you really excited? Well, I. Many people. I mean, um, Christina Aguilera came in once. That was really cool. Um, you know, John Glenn, the astronaut, who I saw often and for many, many years. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, lots of movie stars, people like that. I'll tell you one in particular that was pretty amazing was uh, by chance. So... Dale DeGroff, who is right up there with David Wondrich in the in the realm of like the most important people in the industry. He's also one of the Bar Five Day guys. Um, and he's also now become a friend of mine, although I'm still starstruck by him even when I'm hanging out in a casual setting with him. He was in Columbus um, about eight years ago for a, some sort of business venture that he was in. And he walked into the bar and I almost fell down because I looked and thought that app that like that's that can't possibly be. I mean, even right now, like I'm at a loss for words just thinking about that moment when he walked in. I didn't even know what to do. I, <laughs> I thought I was going to pass out. And he was with his son, and I walked over, and I thought, my God, what are you like? Why are you even here? He came in. We didn't know each other at the time, so it wasn't. I didn't, you know, jump over the bar and hug him, but he came in, he sat down at the bar, he ordered a champagne cocktail, which is one of the most basic cocktails. I I couldn't remember how to make it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I literally walked away from him. I was sweating, shaking. I went to my phone and Googled champagne cocktail, <laughs> which is like champagne bitters and sugar. Um, <laughs> and went back over and made it for him. I was so scared. I thought I was going to drop it. Um, yeah, it was a, it was the most amazing experience, and we've laughed about that since, because he said, "Oh, you seem so calm," and I said, "I was not calm. I was freaking out. It was like the highlight of my life." That's amazing. 
Yeah, wow. that was pretty wonderful. So I want to ask you, what's it like being a woman in the industry, especially someone like you who gets, you know, obviously you're highly regarded in your your craft, but is it is it tougher for women, do you think? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think that it is tougher for women, and I think that it depends also on location. I know that in New York, for instance, there are still bars very highly well-respected bars that only hire men still to this day. And they don't make any secret about it. That's just what they do. And even somebody like me with that, you know, list of stuff you mentioned at the beginning, they wouldn't hire me. Mm. So I've been very fortunate. I haven't had any major issues as a woman, but I know a lot of people do. When I went to Athens, Greece this past November to speak at their bar show, the audience was largely women because it was me. And as I went to all of those bars in Athens, you know, I saw maybe three female bartenders. It's just not a thing in a lot of countries. Um, same with Scotland and Ireland when I was there. You just don't see very many women. So I think depending on the location that you're at, it is really difficult. And I think I read that even in the United States, women were not allowed to be bartenders until like the late seventies, early eighties, they could be bar backs and they could be waitresses, but not bartenders, which I thought was pretty stunning. I think people just associated bartending with men. If you look back to pre-prohibition, those bartenders were all men. They were all really uh, respected in the community. They wore suits. They were not looked at, you know, there's this, I think it's going away now, but there's still the, kind of this thing of like, I don't want my child to end up just a bartender. Now there are people like me who are making it a lucrative career, but back then it was so respected if you were a bartender, wow. And, uh, but yeah, there were no women. Well, I feel like, um the bartending industry is kind of finally catching up to where the chefs are. Cause you know, chefs weren't as highly regarded either mm-hmm. until like the food network and all that stuff. I feel like, I feel like now bartending is, is they're finally getting their, their due, you know, their, I their recognition so because mm-hmm. you guys are so talented and you have to really know what you're doing to do what you do. I mean, certainly there are some bartenders who just pour a shot right. and, and a beer, but um, it, a lot goes into to what you do. And I think people are really, I know in Columbus, we have a great cocktail culture and we all appreciate what you do. Let's hear another story from Behind the Stick. Well, I think I'll tell that John Glenn story because that's a good one. I had forgotten about that one. <laughs> Being at M, I, I was very fortunate because John Glenn, the you know politician and astronaut and and hero, American hero, lived next door, and so he used to come to the restaurant quite a bit, and we got to know him and considered him our friend. So, one night he was in there with his wife Annie and a couple of their children, and they ordered a round of martinis, and. Of course, they were drinking proper gin martinis, and I helped the server take them to the table. And I get to the table, and he tells me that he wants to tell me a story about martini. 
And so he proceeds to tell me about back in the 1950s when they were testing hydrogen bombs um, in Nevada and New Mexico, which I, that's where I'm from. So I know it's middle of nowhere, literally. And they were testing these bombs out there. Uh, one of the guys that he was with, one of the astronauts, really liked his martinis with very little vermouth. He was one of those guys who used to say, you know, just put the bottle near it or, you know, think about it while you're making it, but don't ever even use the vermouth at all. And so they decided in his honor to take a bottle of dry vermouth out into the middle of the desert and bomb it. So they blew it up and with a hydrogen bomb. With a hydrogen bomb, <laughs> nice. they blew it up. And to this day, John Glenn said that anytime he has a martini, he just lifts his martini up in the air because he knows that there are particles of dry vermouth up there in the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the and that's the way he likes to order his martini. And he just picks it up and holds it up in the air because it's out there floating around somewhere. Oh, and I just thought story. that was so cool. That is cool. That's uh-huh. funny. I don't get people who, I love vermouth. <clears throat> I do too. I love a lot of vermouth in my martinis. I do too. So that was a great story. Thanks, Chris. Okay, one, one more story. Well, this one is not scandalous or anything, but okay. hopefully you'll find it as interesting as, as I do. It's about mentorship, which I think is super important and something that I really pride myself on. And uh, it's, it goes back about eight years, and I got a Facebook uh, messenger request from somebody I had never seen before, never heard of before. I thought it was super weird. And this person said to me that they had been following my career for a couple of years and watched watched me all the time and watched everything I did and 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 was just so interested in me and I kind of thought maybe it was some sort of weird creeper and this person said you know please would you ever consider meeting with me and and helping me because I really want to do this for a living and I want to head down this path and so I thought okay, I'll take a chance. This might be a creeper, but maybe not. I met with him. Um, He was a young bartender. He was working at California Pizza Kitchen at the mall. He had studied all the books and knew a lot, but had never been able to actually do it. They They didn't even have bitters in the bar he was working in. And they had a bottle of sweet vermouth that had been sitting on a shelf for like three years. And so I took him under my wing I was doing consulting jobs at the time, and I got him involved in a couple of those bars. He ended up working at M. His name is Nigel Van, by the way, if you haven't already figured that out. We love Nigel. I love Nigel, too. Um, He ended up working at M with me, which I think for him was like the pinnacle of everything. He learned so much. He started competing. He joined USBG, got involved in that. Um, ended up moving to Chicago a little over a year ago and working at one of the top bars in the U.S. Um, and I just am so proud of him. And I just think it's a cool story because I was able to really, truly mentor somebody and show them the way. And, and now he's just doing great things. And I just think it's, in this industry, I think there are a lot of pretentious bartenders. And they think that they are just so cool. And they forget 
how important that part is. And to me, that's everything, hospitality and, and teaching. That is a great story. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Thank you for being our very first guest. Oh, gosh, thank you. And if our listeners want to come and visit you at M, when are you there? I am there every night of the week except for Wednesday and Sunday. And, of course, when I'm traveling, which is sporadically throughout the year. But for the most part, I'm I'm there all right, All dear listeners, get over to M, see Chris, order a French 75. <laughs> With, uh, with cognac. It's or pretty delicious. much anything else, because it's all delicious. That's true. Everything she makes is, is really wonderful. Thank you so much. So that's it for our first episode. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, review us, rate us. Please also check out our cocktail tour, because we have a cocktail tour. It's at ColumbusCraftCocktailTour.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram at CBusCraftCocktailTour.com. Thank you to our producer, Greg Hansberry. And the show's music is composed by the band The Biographer. And please remember to drink responsibly, tip appropriately, and be cocktail curious. Cheers. 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 Cheers.